Well, that's an old one that I use to harass people with. Oh, okay. Um, hold on. I'm going to remove him from context. And welcome to podcast episode 32. It's been a while and it's the end of the year as we know it. Uh, 2009 is closing fast. And this is a review of uh, Apple and Mac related news. I'm Philip Roy from nzmac.com, and joining me this evening online is Darren and Andrew. G'day, guys. How are you? Hey, Phil. How's it? Oh, and Andy. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and we may possibly be joined by Dave, who's also been a podcast regular this year. Uh, later on, we'll see how we go. Uh, what we thought we'd do is, just to uh, explain, I've written an article that I'll post near the end of the year about uh, the year that was, and I went through all the news items on nzmac.com and pulled them out and gave them to these guys and said, why don't you do what I've done, and that's sort of pick your four highlights for the year. And they've sent them through to me, and in fact there's quite a bit of overlap um, at, if we... Uh, provided four highlights each. You'd think there'd be 12, but in fact um, there's eight in total because we uh, we all tend to pick on a few things. Uh, and there's one, for example, that Andrew and I picked that uh, wasn't even a news item because I'd forgotten it for some reason, uh, which when you hear what it is, uh, you'll be a little bit surprised that I forgot about it. Um, so we're going to start at the beginning, and the beginning was, according to my webpage, the 6th of January, when uh, Steve Jobs issued a letter about his health. Later on in the year, the 15th of January, in fact, nine days later, he took medical leave. And then, of course, uh, 24th of June, it was confirmed that he had had a liver transplant. So I'm going to turn over to Darren and perhaps ask him why that's one of his four uh, significant news stories for the year. Well, I think it's sort of... Um, kind of probably goes back to last year when all the rumblings about his health and all that um, sort of came out. Um, and everyone, th- there's this whole idea that, you know, Steve Jobs is Apple and that Apple couldn't survive without him and uh, and all that. I, I think I actually um, did a blog entry on uh, nzmac.com um, about that very um, thought. And I found it quite interesting over over the how long was it six months he was yeah. off work wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I found it quite interesting because it really did prove that Apple was bigger than just one person. Um, you know, he, he's he's a man that everyone essentially thought was the tech god, and proved that he was in, uh, you know he wasn't infallible, and that Apple itself could carry on. It didn't necessarily have to end up like the 90s where basically through a series of um, very poor choices and CEOs um, with Tim Cook on board, Apple actually run very smoothly, released a lot of products and, and quite some very interesting products um, so you know, it sort of proved that in, in my mind, um, I always knew that that it would be the case. But it it proved to me that you know Steve Jobs isn't just the be all and end all of Apple. If he if he fell apart, then there's no reason for stock investors to to sort of worry. And um, I think too, like um, the the nature of the um, this whole celebrity status thing, um, where 
you know, everyone's saying, oh, he should have made it more public, he should have, you know, I, I failed to see how his health in reality could have, you know, been anything that someone had to, uh, you know, that the world had to know about. You know, if, if I was sick, the last thing I'd want to, um, is everyone to know that I was going through all that, you know. I'd just want my closest friends and all that. So um, I think the six months at the start of the year without Steve Jobs was actually a really um, good um, good thing to happen, to be honest. You know, it, it, means, it means that the tech industry will survive without Steve Jobs, Apple will survive without Steve Jobs, and therefore all we Mac customers will survive without Steve Jobs. So, um, you know. I guess, um, I mean, it was one of the four news stories for me as well. I mean, he, he is an exceptionally lucky guy uh, based on the, the quite serious illness that he had. Um, and I guess I'd pick up from what you said. It is, um, to me, a private thing. Your health is your own until you decide how much you want to tell others and who you want to share that with. Mm. And I guess the thing that upset me the most at the time were the number of blogs that sort of suggested that, you know, because he was such a high-profile person that he should provide a lot more detail. I mean, there was all, almost a suggestion that he was uh, withholding things to his shareholders. Um, and it was about his personal health. And as, as you say, I think Apple carried on um, without him in some respects. Um, you know, it's great that he's back. I guess the sort of interesting thing I found is what's happened since he's been back. You know, there's rumours that he's focused on the tablet and all these things if that's coming out. But it's, I've kind of been quite pleased that although he's been involved in presentations and things, he's still let some of those people that sort of perhaps didn't play as much of a public part before uh, keep playing that public part. So, so in some respects, it's almost been a slight change that it's not all about him, if you like, and I think that's probably an important thing for Apple. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, no man's perfect, you know. He's not, at the moment, you know, no one can live forever and all that. So the, the idea that Steve Jobs was a, some sort of deity, you know, and, and he'll go on and on forever, it was, you know, it's stupid. It's... It sort of doesn't really help the the cause of the um, of Apple and, and the Mac when you've got all these um, you know essentially what are religious fanatics when you think about it if you've watched that Macheads um, DVD that um, you you reviewed um, Phil um, you know it, it sort of doesn't help any cause to to think of a, a mortal man in, in that respect you know so it, it, Steve Jobs had to do something and I, I, the thing that you have to take into consideration. Steve Jobs isn't really a technical guru. You know, it was Steve Wozniak that built the first Apple, um, you know, and it was teams of other people that built the first Mac. And so to hand, hand the reins over to, to other people, you know, Steve Jobs has done an amazing job of surrounding himself with some absolutely phenomenal talent, mm. um, you know, and, and not only just... Um, hardware, but also on the software um, thing, you know, and, and from from what I read um, the article um, about Steve, uh, sorry, Tim Cook, you know, I, I really do think he, he has that potential to be, you know, and he's already proven it over the last um, year um, that under, under his reign, you know, he, Apple can still carry on, you yeah. know, we don't have to be worried about, about losing a, a great machine. 
So, yeah, I think people really need to lighten up and, and just not think too much of a, of a person sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Andrew, do you have any comment on that? Um, no, not really. I kind of agree why I didn't think it was important it was for every reason that you just said, really. Yeah. Is that I think in the 10 years that he's been back, uh, the, you know, the, the company has overtaken his importance which it, it hadn't when he was he was kicked out. When he was first kicked out, it was still mm. centred around him, and they were still finding their feet. But, you know, since he came back and with the iMac and, and everything that's happened since, uh, like, uh, like Darren says, the company can carry on without him now mm. because well, he's, he's kind of set the groundwork uh, so it can. And yes. I think, like he said also, it's, you know, the fact that he was gone for six months, it's been... It's been proved. Yeah, right. Well, believe it or not, from the beginning of the year, we're now going to jump um, right the way to, to June. Now, let me just explain some of the things that happened before June. We had iLife released. We had uh, new Mac Pros. We had uh, XServes come out. We had uh, apps reaching 1 billion downloads. But the pick that all of us uh, selected as a major news story, and I'm going to hand over, first of all, to the person who doesn't have one, that's Andrew, and that's the iPhone 3GS. So why was that such an important news item for you? Uh, I think that uh, the, this whole mobile computing thing is becoming more and more important. I, whilst I don't have an iPhone, I do have an iPod Touch, and I find myself using it more and more away from my home uh, just to find things. You know, the, the, I, I would dearly love to have an iPhone for a lot of the features that it has, the, the video, being able to record the video, which I don't think you could do prior to the 3GS. Um, the new software, the, the cut, copy, and paste features, and uh, the voice, the, the voice, um, the memos, and also voice calling and things like that, just seemed to be just a nice next step. It wasn't a huge step like it was from the original iPhone to the the 3G version, but still, you know, just being able to keep it, you know, keep the interest up with all of the the old users and, and being able to snaffle up a lot of New users as well. So it's a quite, I'm amazed at how many iPhones I see around you know, the airport. I work a lot at the airport at the moment, and I see an awful lot of them with people you know, travelling to and from wherever. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do you have a 3GS, Darren? No, see, when it came out, I was, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I want this, I want this. You know, there, there was a lot of features that I, I definitely would have made a lot of use of. Um, you know, the, the compass and all that, I um, all that sort of thing, um, being kind of an outdoorsy sort of person, um, it it would have been quite the perfect device. Um, but it, it was the camera, the video camera, the better camera, uh, you know, the better still camera, the fact that it could auto-focus and, and all that sort of thing. Um, those are features that I would absolutely make a lot of use of. But it, it sort of got to the point where I sat down and thought, look, do I really need this unit? Um, you know, the features are great. I would definitely make use of them, but at the same time, you know, I've still got a year on my contract. Um, so I, I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll, I'll just wait until my contract ends. Um, and, of course, by then, I mean, Apple being Apple, they tend to stick to a reasonably... Um, 
uh, uh, what do you call it, um, consistent release schedule. Um, you know, it was June the year before too. I think that it was um, that the original iPhone was released. So, so I figured, well, wait till the contracts ended. Then you know, perfect time to actually upgrade to the new one. So, uh, at the moment, I don't have the 3GS, but I will definitely look at the. Um, uh, the new version when it comes in, and I'll probably go for the top end model again. You know, with the hopefully it's got something like a 64 gig hard drive or something, because 16 gig just doesn't doesn't cut the mustard for me at the moment. No, it's interesting. I was looking at my 3GS tonight, and I I'm still got 13 gig uh, spare, which means you know I I thought I'm going to fill this up incredibly easy, and I I don't remove any games that I'm not playing. They're all installed and. You know, any freebies that I find, I load those on, but I've still got mm. 13 gigs there. The um, the video appealed to me. I, I took a gamble. I just decided I wanted to go for it. Um, I mean, I purchased the 3G outright, put that on Trade Me, and got a pretty good price, fairly close to about $900 for it, which I was rather pleased with. Mm. Um, so got the 3GS. Um <laughs> One thing I do notice, I mean, you, you notice it on the more powerful games and um, things like the applications starting up a lot quicker and all these sorts of things. I mean, it's slightly ironic that I've got a three. I went to the the newest model because, you know, um, a year or eighteen months down the track, I still have data disabled. So when I'm out and about, I can't check my email or use maps and things like that. Not that I, I don't really care to be honest. I'm quite happy to wait till I get home to check email or wait till I get to work. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, I, I, I'm on the uh, other end of the scale. I. I um, because of the nature of my job, I'm, I'm very mobile. I'm all over the um, greater Wellington area. And just having that ability to check my emails, you know, because um, basically I, I got it with our coordinators that they email me the jobs. Um, so I can I can look at those and, and go into um, Bento and, and add that in there and record all my times and things like that. So, um, you know, I've, I've got ready access to my um uh, emails and and the fact that you know because of the way that the my job's sort of changing a little bit there's all these places tucked away on streets that I have no idea of and I, I wouldn't necessarily normally go to them um, having Google Maps right then and there um, is just an absolute um, dream for me so you know it, I often tell people that the iPhone has sort of been the phone I've been waiting for 10 years for. And, you know, I, I, it really has. It, it has completely changed the way that I, I work because, you know, I'm not reliant on coming back to the office, getting all the details. I still have to come back to the office to get parts, but, you know, if there's a call that I don't need a part for, I can just grab the, the details and just shoot off to the, the job um, straight from where I am sort of thing. So, um, you know, it's um, – and, and and as you say, you know, with with the games, I, I noticed, you know, like um, one of my favourite genres of games um, and probably um, my favourite franchise at, uh, at the moment is the Command & Conquer series and they just released that for the iPhone. Um, and I can, I can tell you now, you know – it played badly to start off with because um, it kept crashing on the 3G. Um, but now that they've EA's released a patch, you know it plays still pretty good. But 
um, from what I've seen of it on an iPhone 3GS, you know, I can't wait till they release the new version so I can access some beefier hardware, you know, um, make gaming a, a lot more enjoyable than it already is. Yeah, it's interesting. I, um, you know, I sort of play around with a few of the features and things, and the, the video certainly appealed to me. Um, the, the processing power, as I mentioned, you know, you really notice I've got a great little wee utility I play with called Auto Stitch, which I think we've talked about on a podcast, and it just stitches a whole lot of photos together, and it's it's just fantastic how quickly it does it on the 3GS. You really notice it. Um, compared to somebody else who sort of sits there with a 3G um, and uses the same application. Mm. I can't help thinking that if I had one, you know, all of the things I've stated that I'd like to be able to use, I'd sort of, you know, I wouldn't use quite as much as I think I would, you know. But, but there might be other things that I don't think that I would use that I, that I would. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, it, I mean, you know... The, at work, I actually have to go for a walk down the corridor to access the wireless network because I'm slightly out of range, which is gets everyone uh, amused at work because I was the one that got a wireless point put in on our floor. But it, it ends basically an office away from me. So I go around to the head of the uh, college's office and sit, sit on the couch outside her office half the time just to sort of um, check uh, Twitter and stuff like that. I, uh, I, I sort of... I'm checking things that I'm not overly concerned about because, um, to me, Twitter can wait. So I'll just once a day um, check on some of the things that I um, sort of miss that are, are iPhone-specific, and the rest of them I just decide, well, they can wait until um, uh, I finish at the end of the day. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that probably most of my applications are actually more... Um not necessarily using the data features. As I say, I use Google Maps. Um, I use the Jeep, um, uh, the, the camera and, and things like that. But um, I, I find the application I use the most is, is Bento. Um, all my jobs and all that I, on the desktop Bento, I, I add the job into there, sync it to my iPhone, do all my updates, and then sync back to the desktop. So that that's kind of my workflow. It, it's it's an application that doesn't necessarily use um, the the features, you know, the the data feature. Uh, well, I say data features. I'm talking about um, uh, internet access and things like that. But um, the other one I use quite often too is Documents to Go um, because I can keep all my documentation there. I don't have to carry around books and manuals and things like that. I, you know, I just have a PDF set it on. Um, uh, on my iPhone, and, and I got all that information right there, and then um, so I I tend to probably use my iPhone more in a business related way. I, every so often I'll check Facebook, but I, I'm normally on my desk when I check Facebook, so I just use the Mac for that anyway. But um, yeah, it, it's quite interesting to see the the different ways people use the iPhone, um, and and that to me signals uh, a device that sort of, you know, it, it transcends corporates, it transcends consumers, it, it kind of allows you to sort of um, operate in the same space. Um, you know, you, you're not limited to a feature set. Um, like, you take something like the Nokia communicator, and yeah, you can do all your... your um, 
general day-to-day stuff, but it's really aimed at the businesses, so you don't really get the benefits of the unit unless you're on a corporate network or something like that, which the iPhone sort of, you know, it brings two worlds together, which I don't think any other phone has, has to date done that. It doesn't seem to have, does it? No. It's interesting. I often think, Darren, of a conversation in a previous podcast um, because I don't know if it's just me or, or my phone, but um, I, I do find that my phone runs down quite quickly. And I remember in a podcast you talking about all the things you get up to during the course mm. of a day and that your phone's still fairly well charged by the end of it. But mm. I've, I, I've had experiences, for example, I, I flew up to um, Auckland for work and I thought, well, I'll try out TomTom, which um, I had a preview copy at the time. Now, by the time I used TomTom to get to the Massey campus and back, my phone was dead. I mean, yeah. yeah. And also, um, recently going to Napier, I thought I'd show off to friends. And TomTom, uh, Tom, by the time we got to Napier, um, had more or less almost drained my phone completely. Um, so it, the, the phone sort of lasted another 30 minutes in Napier, and then that was it. It was dead until I got home. Yeah. Yeah, see, I... My... Um it really depends. Like when I when I did that um, when we did that podcast, at the time I was stuck on like a really bad project and all that, and um, basically, you know, there was no need for the wireless on, so I turned that off, and I didn't have the Bluetooth on, and um, so a lot of that usage I got just simply came from the fact that I wasn't using all the data um, connections and things like that, um, but. Yeah, you know, if, if you're listening to the iPod, then you, you get. I, I was get, definitely getting a day out of it. I was making phone calls and things like that, and and it, it probably wouldn't have been until about three o'clock that I needed to whack it onto the um, thing. But now that I'm sort of all out of, and because of the new laws um, governing usage of cell phones and cars and things like that, and you know, it made sense to get. Well, the, the company provided us Bluetooth car kits, so now my battery level. Is, is sort of draining quite a bit, but at the same time, I've got a um, cigarette adapter anyway, so um, I just, you know, when I'm in the car, especially on long distances, I'll, I'll just whack it onto the, the charger, and then I've got a fully charged phone by the time I'm, um, you know, onto my next job sort of thing, so mm. uh, it, it, a, it really does come down to how you use the phone. Yeah, it's interesting, uh, the TomTom car kit was announced to be released in New Zealand yesterday, um, and I got offered a preview copy that I would have had to send back by January 11th, Georgie, the contact, said that she was going to be on holiday and because I was the first person to ask, I could have it. And I immediately emailed back and said, yes, please, but I, I'm meant to be studying over the summer. So I emailed her back about 30 seconds later and said, oh, I think I'd better wait until late January to, to give it a go. Oh, you know, I could have swung by. I'm heading up to Taranaki <laughs> and picked it up off you. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think she got... How was your, your though? Sorry? How would you have found your way, though, Darren? Yes, yeah, that's a problem. Um, oh, well, there's good, still Google Maps, yeah. you know. <laughs> but the interesting thing about the TomTom car kit is it does actually require for you that you have Bluetooth enabled on your phone, uh, which was a surprise for me when I read some of the reviews. I thought it physically connected. It does, but it still requires Bluetooth. That's how it's doing the audio, I think. I don't think it's... There's nothing in the sort of... Um, how would you put it? The, the connector that... Uh, connects the microphone. It's 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 slightly odd. I need to have a better read of it, but it definitely does require that you put Bluetooth on. 
Oh, that that seems sort of because I, I don't know. Um, can you can you confirm for me because you, you use the tom tom and all that? Does it have um, uh, now what? What was it? Someone was saying that it doesn't do a, a proper search. Oh, that's someone on nziphone.com today, and un- unfortunately my preview, um, the uh, provisioning license has expired. Um, I'm hoping to hear from TomTom Tom again to extend it. Yeah. But they were saying they want to search for an address before they determine which suburb uh, they're looking for. And they, they were saying with the navigation, as in the interface, you're required to say, I'm looking for Auckland, I'm looking for, for example, Graylin, I'm looking for a street within Graylin. Um, off the top of my head, I don't think that person is right. I think you can search for a street, and then it comes up with recommendations of suburbs. Oh, okay, because that, that's going to be one issue. If you don't know what the... Um uh, the address, uh, sorry, the suburb is, then you're a bit stuffed. I mean, there's a lot of streets where I know the street, but I don't know the suburb here in Wellington. Um, you know, whereas Google Maps, you just type in the street, you just type in the city, and it goes and finds it, you know? Well, I, I guess the other aspect, yeah, um, you're right. I mean, if, if you don't know the suburb and the suburb is one of the things that's required, um, then you're in trouble. Um, mm. I th- I, the other th- thing the person posted I thought was a bit confusing and said, you know, I... I was thinking of London where I knew there used to be sort of 10 streets all named the same, but, you know, in different parts of the city. At some point, you may need to take a guess as to the suburb you're looking for. But I'm fairly sure you can circumvent it. I think he was probably, I'm assuming it's a he, was sort of talking more about there's a tree-like directory that you can go through to find a location. I didn't Mm -hmm. think it was that intuitive because uh, when I went down to Wellington uh, to see friends, I tried searching and it it wasn't always that easy. But I don't believe that you have to go by um, a suburb first before a street. Okay. But a great little wee app. Um, you know, I, I, first day I got it, I just turned up at mum and dad's and said, come and sit in the car and gave dad my phone and said, hold this, we're going for a drive. And uh, I think he was kind of blown away that this phone was telling us when to turn and, um, you know, what street to take next coming up and all this sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that, that's the benefit of the 3GS. Um, because as I say, like the compass and all that and the 3GS, that, that doesn't exist in the iPhone. It's all based on relative position to the GPS. So when you're, it doesn't pick up what direction you're going in unless you're moving. Um, you know, and, and one of the apps uh, was it Motion X, um, which is actually quite a good app, but um, it, it it doesn't seem to handle speeds less than five kilometres. So I couldn't work out whether or not it was actually any good if you're walking, because I'm pretty sure we don't walk at five kilometres an hour. Um, I think it's going. Well, Sorry. No, no, you don't. It's usually around three or four. Yeah. yeah. Well, Motion X, Darren, isn't a turn-by-turn app. No, 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 yeah. but I, I'm just saying that that's the benefit of the 3GS because uh, uh, Motion X under the 3GS will actually tell you which way you're facing because of the um, electronics that are in the 3GS, that, that internal compass, um, which is actually quite cool because it, it has either the option of uh, true north or magnetic north, and probably not a good idea doing magnetic north because that changes you know, every so many years. But, um, yeah, it, it is quite 
good that it does have that true north um, positioning as well. It was quite fun when we uh, filmed a video um, here in Palmerston about using the, the 3GS and using TomTom. Tom. Uh, I drove down the street with my mate who was going to film for me, and at the very last minute I just did a 180 and parked on the other side of the road. And he said, why'd you do that? And I said, well, I want to fool the compass because it'll be pointing the wrong way. Um, and went to say on video, look, you know, the compass thinks I'm facing the other way. And by that stage, it, it had actually adjusted uh, quite quickly. Uh, mm. So that was quite cool. Yeah, on the 3G, that would never happen because there's none of that, that technology in it. Your compass will show the wrong direction. Yeah. The next story happened in September, and that's Andrew's story uh, that he highlighted, and that's the uh, the release of iTunes 9. So why was that a significant uh, release for you, Andrew? Um, just the new, the new things that are offered in terms of uh, being able to share your library around the place. Um, it's quite good being able to just have a single... Um, I've got a single library that I can access from the three different uh, Macintoshes that are in the house, and it's it's a, it's a simpler way. It seems to me to be simpler than the old the old way. It just kind of happens. Um, and in terms of um, the the material that's purchased from the iTunes store being available on all of those computers without having to do anything, mm-hmm. you've yes. got, to, got to actually physically add. You know, if you if you uh, rip a CD into your iTunes library you've got to physically move it to all of the different libraries on each computer whereas the stuff from iTunes now you don't have to do that Yeah. Um, sorry carry on oh, I, was, I was actually going to mention the iTunes LPs yep. which I think is a massive step in the right direction as far as you know just, just getting it closer to having a physical album in your hand mm. you know some of the things that it can offer, um, and it's all you know, the click of a button, as opposed to having to put in different discs and fire up QuickTime, or you know, th- the things when you get sort of extra content sometimes on on CDs that you buy. It's a little bit. I haven't seen a lot of that stuff because it seems there's lots. You know, you, you're playing a CD in a CD player, and you've got to take it out and put it in your computer to get to the extra features. But having all of that in the one place is great. Yep. Um, and also syncing iPhones, iPod touches, being able to move the apps around, create different screens, um, just the syncing between the two things for me was uh, made it more made it worthwhile to go uh-huh. back actually syncing it with my computer. I never used to do it, or I very rarely used to do it because I'd been put off by iPod crashing or it taking forever or for a number of reasons. So I, I thought that the yeah, I thought the new iTunes is definitely a step up from what what had been. Mm. Have you got any iTunes LP content? Uh, I have the Muse. I, I'm a Muse fan. I think I think we've all got that, haven't we? Um, I, I got it. That as soon as that came out, well, I, I wasn't even expecting it to be um, an LP. But then when the LP came out, I thought, yeah, that makes perfect sense because Muse is that sort of band. Yeah. And just, I'm just loving it. iTunes LP, I think, is, as um, Andrew said, it is it really brings us closer and closer to that non-reliance on physical media, and, and uh, I, I'm loving it. I can't wait to find um, movies and all that that are using the iTunes LP as well, because um, I think the version of Wall-E, um, that 
has iTunes LP content as well, so you get all the extra features that would normally be found on a DVD um, without the um, problem of having a DVD scratch. Oh, really? So they're releasing sort of iTunes LP content or the extras for a DVD along with the DVD movie? Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Wall-E that was one of the first to has, have it out. I mean, it makes sense. It's Pixar. Yeah. Um, See, but yeah. Batman, Batman Begins one has a few things on it as well. Oh, really? What other music um, iTunes LPs have you got, Andrew? Any others? I, I've got, I haven't. No. I haven't bought any, but in my, uh, what do you call it, wish list, I've got the Peter Gabriel's So, which is one of my favourite records. Right. Um, and it's a remaster, and it's got um, the videos um, from that period. Uh, and a, a, it's got some other uh, quite interesting sounding stuff. Uh-huh. Um, that is, although I noticed that one's more expensive. The Muse one, I thought it was quite good because it didn't seem to be any much more expensive than the just the you know normal old iTunes. But there's been a few that have... Yeah, the, the, the price is getting up there. There's a Rolling Stones one, I think, released this week, which was thirty-seven dollars. Which is, mm. it's um, it's a live show, so you get the you get the audio as well as the visual. So we can, we have to reminisce about the good old days when there was consistent pricing on iTunes, but you know, the <laughs> Apple relented and and let the record companies sort of. Uh, pick their price a little bit. Yeah, I think that was always going to happen eventually. But um, the, the thing is, though, they, they haven't really gone too stupid with it, which is, is good. You know, they, they haven't basically... Stupid with the pricing? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there are the odd albums where they're, they're stupid prices in terms of, um, you know, because they're, they're trying to make money off the new releases and all that. But... Um, I don't really put much um, faith in all the new stuff anyway. A lot of my, um, I mean, the last album I think I bought was a um, Phil Collins um, hits album, you know. Um, so my my music tastes tend to be a little bit, um, except for Muse and, and the latest Pearl Jam album. Um, you know, the bands that have been around for a while, not ones that are emerging, sort of thing. Yeah, I was really pleased with the Muse um, iTunes LP. That's the first and only content I've got, but I, I just really enjoyed it. And I kind of, you know, sort of sit here now and think, damn you, Apple. I mean, if an album comes out and it's got iTunes LP content, previously, if it's an album I knew I was going to buy, I would go and get the CD no matter what. Mm-hmm. But now I'm, now I'm starting to think, well, maybe I want to have a bit of a play with whatever interactive stuff is going to be as part of iTunes LP. Well, that, that's the interesting thing too because um, iTunes LP actually allows you to interact with the music, whereas like a CD, as you say, you know, if you wanted to listen to the CD, then you had to listen to it one way, and if you wanted to interact with it, you had to sort of go into Finder or whatever um, on your computer and listen to it that way. Whereas now, iTunes LP, it, it's all in the one spot. You can listen to the music while reading the lyrics or flicking through the book or, um, you know, pop onto the video or whatever um, sort of thing, you know. And, and because it's all um, standard HTML5 um, uh, web app type um Setups, you know, it's all a self-contained application. Um, you know, you have that ability to 
to not just have the iTunes LP stuff on your on your Mac or on your PC. You can now carry that stuff on on your iPhone because it's using the same browser as what's on your desktop. Um, it's all self-contained, so that file all gets um, copied over to your iPhone and and all that as well. So you know you you can interact with your music no matter where you are, which is really unheard of. Um, up until this point, because you know mm. you had to carry a CD around with you everywhere you went, and you know if you had a portable discman or something like that, you lost all the ability to watch all the content and all that that's on that CD. So um, yeah, I, I I was really stoked when they bought out iTunes LP. It was like finally, you know, that decision to not go out and buy any more CDs really does pay off now. You know, all those limitations that we've had beforehand, uh, they've pretty much. Um, been eliminated now. Yeah, well, it was interesting to be in America this year and to um, spend a day in a shopping mall and wandering around, looking at the shops. And sort of about sort of mid afternoon, I started to realise that there was something desperately missing that I always like in an American shopping mall, and that was a CD and music shop. Mm. There just wasn't one. You know, this was a huge mall. And then the um, next day as I was leaving to go into San Francisco, I was at the Apple store and I looked out the door and there was a Virgin Megastore. So I I got up and I wandered over and as I I got out of the Apple store, I realised that the Virgin Megastore was actually closed, Mm. you know, completely gutted. So I went back in and talked to the Apple guys and I said, look, you know, where's a music shop around here? Because I had a mate that wanted me to find a couple of um, CDs. And they, they really had to think about it. You know, um, you know, like where would a CD shop be, and, and sort of talk to themselves before they sent me on a, a sort of you know two or three blocks back to the most horrific shop I've ever been in, that insisted you leave your bag at the door, and of course I had my uh, laptop with me, so there's no way I was going to do that. So there, there's just no music stores over there anymore. It's just amazing. Yeah, I, I think that was, uh, you know, pretty much an inevitability anyway, because you look at. I don't know what it's like in, in your towns, but um, in Wellington, what a joke. We used to have a really good one, um, Sounds, uh, sorry, Tower, which then became Sounds, and then that folded, you know, and they blamed piracy, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, 25 bucks for a CD when on iTunes that exact same CD is $18, you know. Real groovy, or as I like to call them, real rip-off. Um, you know, it's the same thing, except worse. They're $35 for that CD um, that I purchased $18 on, on um, iTunes, you know. So it, it really makes more fiscal sense to actually go onto iTunes, download it, um, and and take the music with you everywhere you go than it does to go into a real, real groovy or a CD store or whatever and just be charged an arm and a leg for what is essentially nothing more than a, a $1.50 piece of plastic. You know, it's, yeah, that, that was one of the decisions when iTunes came out that, you know, I was like, all my music will now be bought on iTunes. There, there was the odd CD at the time, but um, now it's just, you know... And as soon as they can get rid of all this international rubbish and allow open up all the borders of all the um, iTunes stores, I think music will actually um, become even more popular and, and sell even more because you know having access to British music and um, you know say world music, um, the that's independent the stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know you don't get that in a CD store. How many independents do you see in a CD store? You know, well, those that's that's. 
that's how Real Groovy survives, I think, you know, is it? because they have a, well, they're a bit more specialised, which is probably why they're a bit more expensive as well. Mm. One, one of the things I, that brushed me off with... You. Oh, sorry, what was that? I was just saying, I, I agree with you. There's no reason to actually to buy a CD anymore. I haven't bought one for years, mm. and, and I, I would look for it in iTunes first before I, you know, if it, if it wasn't there, then maybe I'd go and try and find it. Mm. Well, the, the other thing too, you know... Um, iTunes is more instant, whereas, um, like, I, I went into Real Groovy and, and pr- um, ordered a CD of, a, of an artist that I wanted um, to, to listen to, and, you know, it, it was almost three months on and it still hadn't come, you know, I was like, oh, this is a joke, you know, I ended up, um, one of the guys went to the library and I ripped the CD from the library because I couldn't find it anywhere else in New Zealand, um, and that was before iTunes came along. I, I I watch the Letterman show quite a bit and the music they have at the end of there and not just Letterman but other shows as well where there's a, a song on it and I will see, okay, who's this? And then I will go onto my iPod, go into iTunes and so I'd see if they're, they're, they're in there and there's two or three things that I've bought that from people that I'd never heard of mm-hmm. uh, that I've bought through iTunes just because I've seen them and, and, and I've instantly been able to go and and check other stuff around it and to see if it you know, would be a worthwhile thing to actually have. Yeah. Well, um, I, I noticed the same thing. With, you can't do. Yeah, I, I found the same thing with the free single on, um, or single of the week on iTunes, you know. Oh, yeah. um, a lot of the new music that I've got now is actually stuff that, it was a free single, I thought, well, there's no harm in downloading it. I had to listen to it, thought, mate, this is awesome. Went out and bought the entire CD, not just that one song. You know, but it was yeah. that one song that actually moved me to go and purchase. Now you can't really get that um, phys- physically going to um, a CD store because you might not have the time to go and do it. Um, <laughs> you know, and and so there, there's a lot of things that iTunes is actually doing for music. And, and I think if the record industry stuffs that up, they basically have signed their own death knell. And I, I think people will bypass the recording industry, bypass the music industry and start doing it themselves because, there's, you know, they have that ability uh, to make 100% if they wanted. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I, um, you know, when I lived in London, I'd go into Virgin Megastore and go through all the listening stands to listen to tracks and buy CDs. But I don't do that here in New Zealand, even if a shop has the facility. I, for some reason, I'm not prepared to put the headphones on and stand there. But I'll come back home and flick through iTunes. And I guess, kind of picking up on what Andrew says, there's two ways I probably use it. One is for that one song in a show where I think, oh, they sound quite good. I might go and buy that and you know it's great that it's a dollar whatever Mm. Um, and also I'm more prepared to take a gamble I mean I normally will go and buy a CD if it's a band that I know that I'm probably going to like the album but if I'm slightly unsure of the album you know I'll probably say well you know it's five or six bucks cheaper on iTunes but Mm. what the heck I'm going to do it anyway Mm. yeah yeah. Um, picking up on the other two things you said, Andrew, um, about iTunes, the ability to share music easier. It's interesting, my eldest brother finally got a Macintosh um, and emailed me and said my two nieces were kind of arguing over who was on which machine, the old PC or the the uh, iMac, and how could they possibly share music. So it was great to be able to just flick them an email and say, we'll use this new, um, what was it, iTunes Home, I think it's called, mm-hmm. isn't it? Oh, yeah. Share. 
Yeah, and um, the other aspect you, you mentioned is the um, rearranging of applications, which I'm kind of really fussy about on my phone. Uh, even the games are in the order of, in the, that I want to play them, and then I move on to the next one. So if I get a new game, I sort of play it for about 10 minutes and then reorder everything. Um, so I'm constantly rearranging. Um, I would like to see the interface tidied up a bit. It bugs me that on a cluttered screen, when you add an application, it it doesn't drop the one at the bottom down to the next screen but to a new single screen but I'm sure they'll make some changes to that at some point too yeah okay the next news story is one that wasn't covered by nzmac.com um, and it was just a minor thing it was the release of a piece of operating system known as Snow Leopard um, which uh, both Andrew and I picked as a news item, even though um, I failed to cover it at the time. Um, off the top of my head, I think it was early September or late August that it came out. So uh, it was late birthday. August. Uh, it actually came out about a week or two before. They were they were going to plan and releasing it in September, but they ended up. Um, I think it was August twenty eighth that it, it got released. So they they obviously thought it was good enough to release, you know, two weeks earlier than they they had anticipated. So that was cool. And, <laughs> that's right. And wasn't was that nice? For, you know, everyone who was suspecting it to to be coming at the end of September, so nobody had. Well, not very many people had uh, got their applications ready for Snow Leopard. Uh, yeah, but on having said that, they also had the developer previews for so long that they had no real excuse, to be honest. <laughs> no, I, I, I know. No. Uh, um, and you got Snow Leopard? Yes, uh, I wanted to go out and get Snow Leopard. And did you wipe your machine or just install over the top? Oh, I can't tell you. Um I think I just went over the top. The, going over the top this time didn't make an archive of the old leopard thing, though, did it? No, no. So I think I just went over the top. Okay, um, I, I wiped at home and then realised what an incredibly um, complex thing that was, and so at work I just decided to install over the top on the laptop. How about you, Darren? Uh, well, I actually did both because I did that um, review of um, leopard, so... Initially, I installed over the top, and um, I think I got about seven or eight gig back out of it. But um, a mate of mine, he installed it on his machine, got sixteen gig. And it's like that's the most I'd ever heard of it because you know people were saying, "Oh, we're getting ten gig," and you know, yeah, I got eleven gig. You got eleven, Andrew. Got eleven, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and what do you think of it, Andrew? Um, the the OS itself. Uh, um. I sort of in two minds about it, to tell you the truth. You know, it, it, I, I've got a, I have to say it, it's a reasonably old machine. It's a, a MacBook Pro. It's a, it's a 2.33 late 2005 model. Um, I no, certainly notice improvements in things like Safari. Uh, the mail application is a lot less prone to crashing and there's, um, seems to be a bit more responsive. But things, you know, playing Flash things gets the fans going which it never used to in leopard yeah but that's uh, that's actually more due to the fact that flash is is not really even though adobe claims it's 64 bit it's probably still actually running at 32 bits so um to get any decent speed out of it it's probably taxing the machine more than it should be um but then again it is flash and it's sort of it, it, it's always driven my mac mini pretty pretty good but um 
Yeah, I, I do notice the fan kicks in a little bit more with under Flash 10. Yeah, okay, so good, it's not just me. No. Um, but, but I, you know, the, getting the extra space and, and just the idea that the machine sort of seems to run leaner, it takes, it doesn't take very long to, to boot, boot up anymore. Uh, there aren't any applications that don't work under Snow Leopard that used to work with Leopard I, that I can think from the top of my head. No, I didn't have um, many problems. You know, supposedly if you installed over the top, it would put everything that wasn't going to work into a folder. And I, I didn't have any applications that, that got moved at all. Mm. Um, I, oh. I've been really pleased with it. I find the concept really neat in a way, but uh, it's interesting, you know, the fact what they did that, you know, they well, they said zero new features, but of course there were some sort of, you know, new tweaks and stuff like that. Um, but focusing on optimising it, the time, I mean, I don't know, was I swayed by the press from Apple that that's what it was all about? Because one of the things I've kind of become aware of since No Leopard um, was released is that a lot of people weren't very happy with Leopard, the, the, the OS before that. Supposedly, quite a few people seem to have not been that impressed with it and you know, I, I wonder if this was done to sort of um, placate them and sort of um, get over the fact that perhaps Le- Leopard wasn't seen as perhaps the most stable OS. Yeah, I, I, I never really had any problems. I mean, I basically, when the new release operating system comes out, I'll, I'll whack it onto my machines more or less straight away as soon as I can afford it. Um, and certainly could afford Snow Leopard, 100 bucks for the family pack um was was a scream you know it was an awesome deal um i never really had a problem with snow leopard a lot of issues uh, sorry with leopard itself um a lot of issues people were having i never even saw hide nor hear of um and then that experience for me you know i was already happy with leopard and then i stuck snow leopard on and i was absolutely flabbergasted at how good a product that was. I mean, there, there was a couple of things that sort of annoyed me a bit, um, like the the big feature of, of Apple Mail was that it could hook into an exchange server, and I've not actually been able to use that feature, not because um, uh, Apple Mail was a bad product, it's because of the fact that our company is so far behind in terms of technology, despite the fact that we're a technology company, um, you know, we're, we're running Exchange 2003 and no one's willing to cough up some money. To Auckland, our Auckland offices have um, 2007, but um, our, um, our Wellington offices, obviously where I'm based, um, we're still on Exchange 2003 and no one's willing to cough up any money to, um, to, to up, upgrade the server, you know, and... and uh, so it, it's more a company issue that, that's sort of brassing me off with the features of Snow Leopard because there's all these features I want to try, I want to have a go at, and I can't use them because our, um, you know, bureau, bureaucrats and accountants and all that are getting in the way of all that. Um, but on the on the flip side of that, there's been some absolutely amazing features that I have been able to use. For example, Bonjour Printing on a corporate network is just unbelievable. I mean, I set up a printer that I've had nothing but problems with setting up on, on my Mac, um, be it Tiger or, or Leopard. Um, it's a Xerox document centre, 
Um, it, it was just an absolute joke to set up on, on Snow Leopard. It, it was a very difficult machine to, to set up, you know. Um, but now, Bonjour finds the printer. Um, uh, Mac OS 10 just goes online, downloads the driver, and bingo, bango, everything's all go. You know, so the printing side of Leopard is just unbelievable and throwing a feature that I've been looking for a very long time, and that's being able to share your scanner over the network, um, you know, it's just an absolutely amazing release for me. I, I've been nothing but impressed with Snow Leopard, and I'm really looking forward to whatever 10.7 is going to be like. Mm, yeah, I have to say the um, Exchange features I was really impressed with. We are on uh, the right version of the um, Microsoft Exchange. Mm-hmm. I I tried going to Mail. I really don't like the Mail interface, but um, I was thoroughly impressed with how quickly setting that and iCal up to um, sync with Exchange was. I mean, it was just amazingly easy to do. Mm. And, you know, even PC users were looking at it thinking, you know, that's incredibly Impressive, and how quickly you can go through the complexity of hooking up with an exchange server. Um, I tried to stick with mail for a week or so, but I, I did go back to Entourage in the end, which ironically is now going to be rebranded by Microsoft and called um, Outlook once more. Mm. So um, they obviously are starting to see again, as they did previously, the need for that uh, corporate face within the um, the Mac world. Yeah, I, I never liked Entourage. I, I'm, I'm kind of the reverse. It's, it's not that I'm against every Mac product, but um, I've just never liked the interface. It's sort of never gelled with me. It, um, I, I don't know if it's just because of my machine or whatever, but it just feels so clunky. So, I mean, it reminds me of Eudora back in the um, in the 90s. You know, it just sort of has a... a, a a feel that doesn't feel Mac-like. Um. It, it reminds me more of a product that never came to New Zealand, um, Clarisworks Emailer, which at the time I got my brother to buy in the States and, and send to me. Um, Isn't that Lotus Notes? No, no, no. Um, it was um, Clarisworks. Um, when they got spun off, they built a, a, an email client for themselves for a while that's very much like um, Entourage. Um, it's funny you mentioned Eudora because I can't stand Eudora. Mm. Um, but even still at Massey, there are people that continue to use it um, despite the, the very bizarre interface. Oh, when it came out, it was all right, you know, because you didn't have any expectations of email clients. There was some really bad email clients and and all that out there. So your Dora looked like a, you know, a, a glowing orb of, of usability compared. But um, now it's just... I mean, yeah, I, I tried Thunderbird, but that was um, sort of... I liked it, but then you sort of sit it against, you know, proper Mac apps and all that, and it just felt clunky. And it's one of the reasons I don't even use Firefox. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's just something that you're used to. If you're used to um, all the Outlook stuff and all that, then Entourage makes a bit of sense. But once again, I, I had the issue where it wasn't really connecting properly. It still doesn't connect properly um, to our Exchange 2003. Um, keeps asking me for my username and domain, you know, and it's stuff that, you know, I thought that stuff sort of went by the by in the 90s, um, you know, having to enter your password every time you opened up the email application. Yeah, it's not an easy program to configure, and there's been a number of discussions on the Mac mailing list at Massey about how to get get it to work well. Um, the new version 
um, particularly with the extra patch that you can apply, works exceptionally well. Well, I think it does, but the problem is that does require Exchange 2007. Well, I, I, I have been using the thing because I was actually at the release of... Um, uh, business edition uh, of Microsoft Office, and they all uh, they gave us all a free copy of um, Office 2008 Business Edition. Um, there are features of it I like, but um, yeah, it's just, uh, the fact that it's keep asking me to enter my username and domain, despite the fact my machine is actually um, utilizing a really really cool feature of um, Snow Leopard, um, where it. It's so much easier to join an Active Directory domain, um, well, you know, Active Directory server and, and all that. Um, the fact that email's still not looking at that sort of keep, keeps throwing me off a little bit. But um, as I say, I can't really, really give it um, a, a good run because of the fact that we're still on old servers and it's not designed for anything less than 2007. Yeah. Okay, we've got a couple of stories. Yeah, sorry. Can I just ask you a, a question about, do you use the other Microsoft applications, the Word and Excel as well? Yes, I do, but mainly uh, because I have to really, because that's the sort of, that's what everyone else at the university is working, are using. So, um, I, I mean, I use them here at home as well. I've never really got into pages and things, although I've got it. Um, I use numbers for other things. But, for example, I'm busy writing my research project for my master's and the version of EndNote, uh, the bibliographic, uh, I think that's the word, uh, software now ties into pages. And I, the other day I thought I might finally go away from Word because I can't stand it. But um, at this stage, there's not much point, particularly at work, because I would have to be exporting everything into Word format just to send it to everybody else. Do you, do you find it works better or the same with Snow Leopard compared to Leopard? Um the same, but that's not suggesting it works wonderfully. Um, I'm, I'm, I loathe uh, Microsoft Word, for example. I've not had any technical issues, although that said, it's funny you mention it because at the moment Microsoft uh, Office, every time I close it, uh, crashes, and so I'm just furiously sending uh, bug reports to see if Microsoft finally released some updates. You know, I, I was expecting it to be a lot better than this is 2008 um, when I upgraded to Snowden, but I was expecting it because it, you know, finally being a universal application and not adding Rosetta and getting all of that out of the way, that it would be somehow more responsive. And it just seems to me that it's, yeah, it, it seems to go like a wet week. Whenever you no. try and open it, it takes yeah. forever and it's got to check this and check that. It's still yeah, using I, older older interfaces. It's still using um, Carbon. I don't think it's a proper Cocoa application. Um, I, I don't have yeah. I don't have any problems with opening. But I mean, you know, I um, I can't remember the last time the spell checker on Word worked properly for me. Well, that's and not I'll, just the Mac version, though. <laughs> no, 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 no. What I mean is, like, I'll, I'll get I'll get calls from Mac users at the university saying. It, it, it's picking up words that are wrong, but it won't let, let me tell it to learn it. And I just say, sorry, that's Microsoft Word on a Mac for you. I guess I was just expecting it to be better than, you know, the 2004. No. Uh, on, you know, I, when I upgraded from 4 to 8, I was just expecting it to be better because it's working natively with the... I mean, if I didn't if I didn't have everyone else around me using the same product, I you know I'm on a big in a big company like a university, I'd, I'd quite willingly start to learn pages and things a lot more. 
Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, the one of the stories that I wanted to touch on briefly was one of mine, and that is just simply uh, and as the I'm sorry I have to say this an Apple shareholder. Um, the um, success of Apple this year in terms of their financial um, reports, um, they seem to be uh, resistant to some of the issues that all the other PC companies have um, faced over the course of this year. I mean, every uh, quarter they have reported this year has been a record um, compared to the one before. They just seem to go from strength strength to strength at the moment. That, that basically comes back to the fact that Apple's the only tech company that's actually innovating. I, I, seriously, you look at HP, IBM, well, not IBM anymore, it's Lenovo, um, Dell, all, all those, they're just riding off the coattails of the previous year's machine. You know, um, but Apple keeps releasing all these products. I mean, they got they released the new iPod Nano with the camera. They've released new upgraded iPod Touch, upgraded iPhone. Um, people are buying those, saying, "Hey, these are awesome." Their machines are coming up for renewal anyway, so they thought, "Well, well you know, why not cut my loss- losses and go for a Mac and see what that's like?" Um, and at the same time, Apple's releasing just these absolutely phenomenal products. I mean, who who'd have thought? Um, at the start of the year, Apple would have released a 27-inch iMac <laughs> that mm. acts as a monitor for a laptop. You know, we're, we're not yes. just talking about um, a, a new iMac. We're talking about an iMac that can be used as a docking station for a, a, um, a MacBook Pro or a MacBook or, or something like that, you know. So you're getting, essentially, you're getting, uh, with the iMac, you're getting two products in one. You're getting a cinema display as well as an iMac, you know. And, and that, that to me, that level of thinking that Apple's doing, you know, that's the reason why people are, are sort of taking notice and thinking, um, you know, maybe it is time to sort of look at another platform, especially because, I mean, Windows 7, as good as it is, it's still Mac OS 10 four years ago. Mm, so. It's interesting because, you know, all this talk about rumours of a tablet and you listen to some of these podcasts and they say, you know, uh, Apple's only going to be successful in the pod, in the tablet area if it's, a ga- if it's a game changer. And I just kind of sit there and think, well, of course it's going to be a game changer. When does Apple do something that isn't? Mm, exactly. I mean, look at what they did with the iPhone. Here's, here's Apple saying we're not going to make a phone. You've got it all wrong, you know. Meanwhile, they, well, they had actually released a phone back in the um, 80s and 90s, didn't they? But it, that was just a desktop phone. But um, they, you know, they, they came out and said, no, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. And then they released it. And, and the reason they said we're doing it now is because finally we can do it. You know, Apple... Apple's saying, you know, we're not releasing a tablet, we're not releasing a tablet, we're not releasing a tablet. That's not to say they're not going to release a tablet, they're just waiting for the time when the tablet makes sense. And I don't think that's going to happen until solid state comes to a proper pricing structure and the hardware is is devoid of all the problems. So we may not see a tablet until, um, you know... If it's going to be next year, it's not going to be until October, November, December sort of thing. Well, probably not November, December, but, um, you know, it's just because the technology at the moment isn't up to the point where Apple wants to innovate to. It's getting there, but it's not quite there yet. And, of course, the nice thing is they're getting a hell of a lot of press for a non-existent product at the moment. Yeah, so when the product does finally release... 
Yeah, sorry, Andrew. It was, just, it was the same with the phone as well. They, they got a lot of press about a phone that was non-existent for a year before it came out. There was people saying, oh, it's going to be the iPhone, they're going to make a phone, they're going to make a phone. It wouldn't be great if the phone did this and if the phone did that. Well, it was actually more than a year. I think it, those those rumours of the phone had been circulating for... I, I remember them probably around about the 2002-2003 period that there was all these rumblings. And it was around about the time that the iPod came out and then people were saying, no, it's a stupid idea because, yeah. you know, it's a physical hard drive. It's going to be hard to use. And, and then now, you know... Um, NAND technology in, in terms of flash memory and all that is is just it's allowed the iPhone to come out um, yeah. and and I think it is going to be the same where um, you know there's no point in having a 64 gig tablet um, you know you want something with a little bit more beef now um, because file sizes are starting to get larger and larger I mean the more pushing of cameras with raw support and things like that um you know the file sizes are larger so you're going to need need that and you know i i have to tell you now as soon as a tablet comes out i would be seriously tempted to get one because i, I can see the benefit of of that technology but i don't think we're we're there at the moment um no i think they're going to have huge audience in the education sector as well for a tablet because they, they will do it right they won't they won't follow the way anyone else has done it. It will be innovative. I'm not trying to suggest that Apple hasn't made mistakes in the past and gone down things, you know, the, um, I think it was called the Apple TV, the um, sort of game, uh, uh, no, the gaming console that mm. they d- developed that never got out of the States. I mean, you know, it was an, an odd attempt, but that was a hell of a long time ago before Steve Jobs came back as well. But they learn from that. that. That's the thing. They haven't necessarily killed off a product. It's like the it's like the Newton. They never really killed off the Newton. They just merged it in into various things. I mean, the handwriting recognition of the Newton is in Mac OS ten. It, it's been in Mac OS ten basically since day dot of Mac OS ten. Um, whether or not people use it, I've tried it and it, it didn't really suit what I was after. I was so used to the the way that Palm did their handwriting recognition that trying to use that in a system that I'd never really learnt before um, was a bit of a bit of a pain but um, yeah it, it's one of those things where Apple they make when they make a mistake they learn from it as opposed to a lot of technologies where they make a mistake as oh well that didn't work and then they'll just move on to the next mistake you know whereas the, Apple is like sorry sorry Aaron. I was just going to say that the, the, the Newton is an, is an example of what you know, we were just saying before about how they don't release something until it's ready. Mm. And the Newton, kind of, that's probably what they learned from the Newton is, okay, we're trying to do something with this piece of equipment that it's not capable of doing because, you know, we're saying that it would be great if it did this, 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 and this, but it doesn't actually do it yet, but just wait and it will. Yeah. And now instead of that, they just, they, they kind of store it up and then they, they spring it on people and it's all a surprise. Yeah, getting things out early to show, hey, look, we're innovative will just yeah. lead to frustration if people say, well, that's really innovative but full of bugs and flaws. Mm. Which, which others seem to do. You know, as, as Darren says, there's a heck of a lot of products out there that people say, wow, this is kind of shows me what it could be, but it doesn't quite get to what it's meant to be. I see uh, that all the time because um, I'm, I'm in a, a really cool position because um, I'm more than what, 
you would get at, say, Dick Smith and Noel Lemmings, but I, I'm sort of also, you know, there there are other levels above me, but I'm in that nice spot where you get a lot of um, uh, people coming in and they've got a new technology, you know, and um, you sort of see it in action. Mostly by the time we see it in action, it's failed in some way, shape or form. Um, but you look at it and you think, wow, this has real potential to be something awesome. If they did this, this, this and this, you know, it would be such a perfect device. Um, Apple are like that. They, you know, they see the cool potential of, of a touch screen and, and hence they produced Newton. Um, that evolved into the iPhone because, uh, but at the same time, you know, they, they said, oh, well, wouldn't it be cool to have a phone that had a touch screen uh, and we had some ability to have iTunes on there so that we can listen to our music so we don't have to carry around all these devices. And then, bang, the iPhone comes out. You know, it, it's the all-in-one device that, you know, it's taken probably the last 20 years of technological advancement to actually come out. And and, and that's why Apple does such a great job. It's because they're not just looking at what looking at the products that are out there now, they're looking at the future potential of those products. They might be flawed now, but in the future they will be this, this, and this. And and yeah. you can see it in the way that they're moving. You know, um, all the screens now, they, they have moved to LED technology. At the time, LED might have been flawed. It wouldn't have the refresh technology, uh, refresh rates. Um, now, the um, at the moment, the LED t- um technology they use in their screens is nothing more than lighting up the screen, therefore ditching the fluorescent bulbs. But, you know, with Samsung bringing out their OLED TVs, um, where the pixels are actually um, LEDs that flash different colours depending on, on what that pixel is at the time, um, you know, you can see Apple is going to go there, but they won't go there straight away. Um, it'll It'll probably take another couple of years before they think this is right for computing, you know, so it's that looking ahead that makes Apple different, whereas a lot of companies are just looking at now, what do we do now, what do we do now, and and this is why you're getting all these companies, you know, large companies um, selling really cheap PCs because they're only looking at what they can milk the customer for now as opposed to what they can milk the customer for in three years. Yeah. And it's and they were also, you know, they decided that they weren't going to put floppy disk drives in computers a long time before, you know, people were ready to let them go. And it's the same sort of thing with the Firewire 400 now. Mm. They've just said, no, we don't need that anymore. You know, that's not going anywhere. We're not going to bother putting it in our machines. And there's a few people that sort of can't get over it, like there was with floppy disks. And yep. It's, it's almost going to be, this, you know, CDs will go the way the same way, I'm sure. And, and, and they seem to... You know, if, if not, they're, if they're not the first, then they're certainly um, putting the ideas into other people's heads about getting rid of them. Yeah. Okay. We've got a couple more stories. I miscounted. Sorry, and they're both to do uh, with Darren. One of them was an unusual one in that Apple didn't release any sort of press statement about it at all when this product came out. And Darren even said, you know, Phil hasn't published a story about it, and that was the Mac Mini server, Darren. Yeah. I. Oh. I. I've. <laughs> I've got a Mac Mini. I, I, I kind of have a, a, a nice little love for this little box. I mean, you've got a service sitting inside a lunchbox that's unheard of <laughs> in the tech industry. And the, 
I've always looked at the Mac Mini and thought, this would make a great little home server. And I'm not the only one. I, I remember um, articles uh, by Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted. He said the exact same thing. Sooner or later, Apple's going to release a Mac Mini, and it's going to have a server. At the time, maybe, yeah, it might have been a pipe dream. But, um, but now, you know, Intel's got their, their core duo um, uh, chipset range down to a fine art. Um, and they've managed to get all this really cool processing power sitting in that lunchbox. Um, Apple's bought out the display port. Um, so that means that, you know, they, they can hook up to pretty much any TV device out there. Um, and... and so by by ditching the DVD, which you know, as as Andrew was saying, you know, it is on the way out. Um, by ditching that and putting in a, an extra five hundred gig hard drive, so you've got a terabyte of storage. You now have this, and throwing in Snow Leopard Server. I mean, Leopard Server is pretty cool. It's it's very very easy to set up. I um, I've been playing with it at work. I've got it sitting on a virtual machine in parallels. Um, and it works really, really well. There are some things that really need to be touched up, um, and apparently a lot of those things that have been touched up are actually in, in Snow Leopard server. So, um, uh, you know, if I come across a copy at work, then I'll, I'll borrow that and, and play with it. Um, but I'll, I'll definitely be looking at, at getting a Mac Mini server because, you know, I now have... The, well, anyone now has this ability... To have a server sitting on a shelf out of the way, it's, it looks pretty cool. So people come along, oh, what's that? Oh, that's my server. And they're like, what? Um, you know, and, and the server's doing email. It's doing, um, uh, you can have what's called netboot images. So there's an image sitting on the server. The machine, instead of running off a physical hard drive, you can have uh, a headless Mac, meaning that there is no physical hard drive. It's running off an image on the server. You know, it's running through the Wi-Fi. It's doing all this through Wi-Fi, um, which obviously it couldn't do beforehand um, until the N standard, uh, standard came along and certainly now um, being ratified. Um, so, but the, the Mac Mini server is just an amazing little device. It's always made sense to have that um, as a server, you know, because as, as I said, you can hide it away. You don't have to have this big glaring uh, one-unit, three-unit um, server sitting in a, a cabinet hidden away, um, you know, in a, in, a, in a drawer. You can have the thing sitting under your TV, you know, and, and no one will think anything of it. So. I'd love to, I'd love to have a, a Mac Mini server to run the nzmac.com site on, and you know, even just turning up at the local ISP here and perhaps handing it to them and saying, "Will you look after this?" You know, and putting it on bit, better bandwidth would just be fantastic. Yeah, no, um, I agree. I, I've been thinking the same thing because I, I'm trying to get back into developing um, web pages and things like that and, um, you know, using nothing but the latest HTML standards, um, which, uh, I mean, they're not ratified, but HTML5 is definitely coming a long way thanks to Apple. Um, and, and so having that ability to have a web server that's constantly on and um, being able to access that from anywhere because of mobile me and, um, you know, all those sorts of technologies that Apple have developed to make things really super simple, um, it just makes sense to have it sitting in an in a 
unobtrusive box, you know. Mm. Um, I, I remember when the Mac Mini came out, there was one of the universities that grabbed uh, a thousand of them or something and excreted them and ended up having the third most powerful supercomputer on the planet. That's right. You know, imagine... Imagine um, a thousand Mac Mini servers um, excreted together. You know, you're going to have something that just blows things away, you know. And for, you know, a, a thousand um, machines at a thousand dollars, you know, what's that? That's what, 10,000, 100,000? I, I don't know, my maths is a bit rubbish. Um, but, you know, for the cost of what it will cost you for a really big, decent Windows server that controls the entire network, you could have a thousand of these Mac Minis for the same cost. You know, and it's just unbelievable. I, I was absolutely floored when, when Apple released that. It was just, whoa, <laughs> you know? And the fact yeah. that they did it without a song and dance, you know? They just yeah. quietly released it to the public. Snuck it in. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. It's so it makes me wonder what Apple has got for the next couple of years. If, if that's what they're doing with the Mac Mini, what are they going to do with the iMac? What are they going to do with the Power Mac? Uh, is the Power Mac going to get... Oh, what is it, Mac Pro? Um, is that going by the by and it's going to be replaced with, you know, a couple of hundred lunchboxes or whatever for, for the same price? You know, hmm. it is going to be very, very interesting to see what's going to come in the next year or two. And our last story to talk about, um, I'm still not overly convinced about this product, having had a very quick play, but I think you must be sold on it, Darren, and that is the Magic Mouse. Yeah. Um, I, I did have a play with it. It wasn't it wasn't a big, big play, um, and I still haven't um, uh, gotten to um, get me one, mainly because I... Uh, got to get a few bits for the car because it's taken a bit of a hammering over the years um but <laughs> the i played with it and i was like this is a really really cool mouse i mean i liked the idea of the the ball on the top of the um mini, uh, what is it the the mighty mouse, mighty mouse. <laughs> Uh, magic. Oh, sorry, you're talking about the one before that? Yeah, the Apple Mouse. Yeah, the Mighty Mouse. Yeah. Um, I, I liked the idea from the perspective that um, it gave you that 360-degree scrolling. I mean, I've used 360-degree scrolling before in, um, uh, in PC-based mice, but they were generally like a joystick, and IBM had one. It was a typical case of PC companies not getting it. Um, you know, uh, basically it, it allowed you 360 degree scrolling, but you only ever really used it for up and down scrolling. Um, but then, then, then I thought, well, the idea of the ball is a good idea. The execution of the uh, of the ball is failed because the ball's been around for what the last 30 years. Um, what 20? What is it? 25 years at the Mac? Um, the Mac's been around. Yes, yep, definitely. Yeah, something like that, yeah. So so the bull's been around for 25 years. We're trying to get rid of it with all these optical mice and laser mice and and, and all that sort of thing and, and pen com, um, computing and, and things like that. And then we, they go and stick a ball back into a mouse, you know, and, and it's caused nothing but trouble since. So um, when when I heard about the, um, the Magic Mouse, I thought, wow, if they pull this off, this is going to be seriously cool. Um, you know, you still got your 360 degree scrolling. You still got um, 
your ability to have left and mouse buttons without left and right mouse buttons without actually having physical buttons. Uh, you can program it, and um, I, I never liked the side buttons on the on the um, uh, Mighty Mouse. I, I always turned those off because I found that I was always pressing the button when I didn't want to, and I was going into expose or dashboard or whatever um, without you know just because I was trying to move the mouse. But um, they ditched all that. They they thought, well, these were nice ideas, but we can do it better. And they so they they thought, well, what do we have? Well, we've got all this technology and, and the trackpads and all that. Why don't we just use that? You know, and and they did. And on having used it, and and as I say, I, I only played with it probably about ten fifteen minutes, and I was hooked. You know, the the fact that the scrolling is like the the iPod scrolling. Um, where you just give it a flick and it scrolls, um, you know, and give another flick, another, 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 and it gets faster and faster and the scrolling. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of pages where you just want to, say, maybe keep track of a conversation in a forum or something like that. And, you know, some of these um, conversations, are, you know, if you've got it set to 100 posts and you've got to scroll through 100 posts and 100 posts just to get to that last one, um, so there's a lot, it is really cool mouse um, to use. It, it does take getting used to, but um, I think really once you do get used to it, it just it just makes sense. It's like this is this is cool. This is how um, the technology is going to go. So I don't think the mouse is ever going to go away. It's just going to change into products that are just more suited to to what well, how we use how we use them. But um, a lot of does- people, sorry. So I carry on. I was, I was going to say it, it is an incredibly beautiful product, though, as well. Mm. Um, was it Dragonfly? He, he mentioned um, he wasn't a big fan of it because it felt too small and, and things like that. But um, for me, that's not so much of a big issue. I mean, I'm I'm only a short guy anyway. I'm five and a half foot, you know. Um, the mouse sort of fits in my hand really, really nicely. It's um, uh, so I don't know. It, it may be a bad product for larger-handed people, but um, uh, just yeah, for for me, it, it just it felt nice. It's not just pandering to Apple. It was a mouse that actually felt nice in my hand. It, you know, I, I using a mouse all day every day it's sort of the the current crop of mice and and the worst ones i think are actually um the ergonomic mice <laughs> you know they're supposed to help your hands and all that and, and they end up being doing nothing more than hurting my hands so um to have a mouse that is really functional and fits in the hand a lot nicer um i i was really impressed with it but then again each to their own you know yeah. Okay, um, that's the new uh, discussion of the news for 2009 all wrapped up. We probably need to get on to our picks now, and I'm going to start with Andrew uh, initially because one of the ones that I'm looking at from his uh, list that he sent me brings back memories because I think I used it with System 7.5, and that uh, was called Default Folder at the time, but now I is it Default Folder X or Default Folder 10? Oh, I guess it's default folder X, and uh, you're right. Uh, from what I believe, I'd never used it when it was, uh, you know, in, in what the system seven. But uh, I was put onto it by another podcast that I listened to, the Mac Geek, Ge- Mac Geek Gab. They were talking about this thing, um, and it's something that's endlessly frustrated me 
uh, certainly as a sound engineer, trying to get files all into the same folder without having to skip through lots and lots of different different pages. And this thing sounded great. And I had a look at it, and I've been using it um, almost like a, a default finder as well because it remembers everything, uh, you know, from the last time that you used it. You know, uh, so you can you can set up favourite favourite folders that you like to go to and you can get to them immediately if you're trying to save new things like uh, you know attachments from emails and whatever or anything, it doesn't matter The thing I always remember about it is um, imagine you've got a folder open and that's sort of buried on your hard drive somewhere no matter what program you're using and you go to save something instead of having to navigate through all those folders, you can just click over that's, that's, that was the next thing. That was yeah. the other thing that I was just Sorry. going to say is yeah. that you can, um, you can when, when you come to save as or save, you get a lot more options that are right in front of you in the save dialog. So, so you can you can go to that deeply buried folder if it's you know if you've used it or it's it's much it just it's far more. Uh, I just I have you know started to use it a lot. But it certainly has been around a long time. It's nothing new, but so that's new to me. <laughs> it's slightly unusual in that it is quite a popular application, and Apple haven't sort of stolen the idea ever. They've kind of <laughs> yeah. kind of allowed it to continue as an additional application. Well, yeah, it is. It is a bit strange because, and, and I suppose you can say that for a lot of uh, these third-party applications that aren't Apple ones, uh, is that they see something that. Maybe Apple have missed, and they just you know that they that they see something that's missing. And although there's you know sometimes they jump on it, and sometimes they don't. Yeah, I mean, light switch is the classic example when Apple well um, brought Command Tab into um, the Mac, and the the oh, developers right. of Light Switch at the time posted a "Dear Apple, you've stolen our idea" on their website. The slightly ironic thing was that that functionality had been in Windows for quite some time. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, you, you couldn't have a Mac developer saying, hey, we, we came up with the idea. <laughs> no, true. But, um, I, I, we, we won't need to mention web addresses because I'll post that on the site. But um, what sort of cost is default folder, do you know? Uh, it was 35 American dollars, which okay, is so just over 50. Yeah. Not, um, not cheap, but um, well worth the money, you think? It's at the beginning of the year. Sorry? Cheaper than it was at the beginning of the year. Yeah, but still worth the amount, you think? Uh, from the amount of use that I'm getting out of it, uh, definitely. You know, it, it, yeah. Uh, I think I, if I was still sound engineering and using Pro Tools as much as I was, I'd be getting even more benefit out of it with different projects, different, uh, you know, different, uh, yeah, different projects, and just being able to get to the folder where everything is quickly and easily. I'd certainly find a hell of a use for it there, but I'm not doing that quite as much these days. Right, but even at just my everyday uh, small amount of computing at home, I'm, I'm thought it was worthwhile, and I certainly, I certainly still think that way. Yep. Okay. And clip menu intrigues me. Clip menu is just a clipboard that you can save anything that you put into the clipboard. So it's not just a single; you can have up to forty, I think, forty different items in the, in the clipboard, and it sits in your menu, and you can uh, you click on it, and it's I've got it set for 20, and you can go back 20, you know, cuts or copies. And uh, it, it's quite good for when you for, – for dates and for things where you want to get a couple of things out of an item that you want to paste somewhere if you're filling in forms and 
so on and so forth. It's quite good. Sorry, it's, so so um, it's not you don't have to put things in it. It will kind of remember your history of cuts and copies. Absolutely. It, oh, okay. It, it remembers everything that you cut and copy, uh, and that goes for restarts as well. So if you crash or you you know restart or shut down and restart, it's all still there when you when it when it starts up. Wow. Uh, but it but it goes even further than that because you can. Um, it's not just letters and numbers. It's pictures. Um, uh, what is? I'll just read out some of the things. Plain text, rich text, are all full PDFs, uh, URLs, uh, and images. Are things that it will remember. Um, and yeah, so it sits in the menu bar, and and they're and they're all there. I'm just looking at some of them now that I've gone. Yes, web web addresses, email addresses, just things that I've copied from somewhere to put somewhere else. And uh, sometimes it's frustrating, you know, going backwards and forwards and you know cutting or copying something. It's just just something again that I found quite useful. It also does the the snippet thing, like um, what's that smile on my Mac one called? Um, Text expander, so right. you, can, yep. you can create things that you, that you know recurring pieces of information, that, you know, like an email address or your your contact details. You can store that as a snippet, and you can just select it from the menu bar whenever you need to to write that sort of thing. Mm. And the nice thing about it is that it is free. It supports sixty four bit and Leopard. Um, they do encourage donations. But um, I've never really been into clipboard utilities. But even now, that as you're explaining it, I think I'm sold already because that would be. Um, I, I didn't. I always thought you had to kind of put things into it. The fact that it can just remember your history, if you like, of recent cuts and copies is just going yeah. to be perfect. Absolutely, absolutely. That's what I say. A lot of this, you know, I was saying to you before about the homework I was doing. I was just cutting or copying bits out of out of web pages, and I'm just, you know. When I want to look at them, there they are, all in a list, in uh, in, in the menu bar. Just just which is which is quite cool. It's a sort of simple way of being able to get to them. Excellent. Well done. Okay, um, Darren, mm-hmm. your picks. <laughs> um, man, it's, to be honest, I kind of forgot to think about this, but um, I have to tell you, Parallels Five is just bees knees at the moment for me. Um, I. It's one of those stupid apps where I only really use it to install, uh, to run Windows, although I do have, as I mentioned before, I do have Leopard Service sitting on there, um, so I can play around with that. But um, I I only really use Windows just so that I can use um, uh, Internet Explorer um, because... We have this stupid call system that's um, unbelievably pathetic um, because, you know, it's all written in um, ActiveX and things like that, so only Internet Explorer can use it and all that. So I only use um, uh, Parallels for Windows, but... um, the latest version, there's so many really, really, really good features in um, in Parallels that, um, you know, there, there's a bit of a war between VMware Fusion and Parallels 5, but um, I think at the moment, hands down, Parallels 5 is winning. It's got, um, uh, 
I've installed Windows 7 on it um, to basically try that because sooner or later we're going to have to support that. Um, and so I've been using that as my main virtual machine. Um, and running a, um, a hardware test in um, uh, Windows 7, it, it, it rates your machine. Um, and I noticed that the, the actual release to the beta, the, the actual release is actually bringing a lower number, but we're still looking 4.2 out of 7.9. Um, so it, it's around about 50%. Now, bearing in mind this is, well, it's on a boot camp petition, but um, it's still drivers that are, are running through um, parallels, all the graphics card and all that is all running through parallels. Um, so to have that sitting at 4.5 when a lot of PCs are only sitting at 2, um, and this is a virtual machine, then um, Parallels is just, it, it's moving more and more towards the fact where sooner or later you won't even have to boot into Windows to play video games. Um, that's the level that um, Parallels is quickly attaining to. Um, not quite there yet. I tried to play Call of Duty and, uh, yeah, it wasn't fun. Um, mind you, the game's not fun anyway, but um, <coughs> the... There's a lot of they've built on the coherence mode, which is um, the ability where the Windows applications look like they're sitting on the Mac, that they're running the Mac. Uh, they they have a theme uh, called Mac Look, so um, not only does it look like your Windows applications are running on the Mac, they actually look like Mac applications. Um, uh, but they um, the there's another mode called Crystal, which is actually quite an intriguing one. Um, the difference between Coherence and Crystal is that Coherence um, will turn the the Parallels icon into the Start menu. So you can click on the, the Parallels icon in the dock, and it'll bring up the Windows Start menu. Um, in um, Crystal mode... All of that's disappeared. It actually looks like you don't get the dot under the, the dock um, to show that Parallels is running. Um, it kind of quietly shuts down Parallels and sort of runs in a, um, in a background process type mode. Um, and so the, the menu then becomes an icon up in the menu bar and you right click on that and that'll bring up the Windows Start bar. Um, and... Uh, it, it sort of works quite nicely, but there are bits and pieces that sort of irritate me a bit. It, um, in that way, it makes it very difficult to access all your devices and some of the settings uh, while your virtual machine's running. So I, I've kind of gone back to coherence mode until um, crystal mode sort of um, yeah, makes a little bit more sense. Um, but there is another feature which I really quite like. Um, you know how on the right-hand side of the um, divider on the dock, you can put all your folders and have stacks and things like that? Mm -hmm. Well, in um, Parallels 5, they've implemented that feature. So that feature now actually acts like your Windows Start Bar as well. Um, so, well, um, I say the Windows Start Bar looking more... Um, you know how you go, uh, Windows, all programs, blah, blah, blah. It's 
acting as that all program section of the start menu. So you can just go onto the dock, click on the um, application that you want to run, and, and bang, you're done. Um, so it, it sort of just gives Windows that more Mac feel, you know, because you're hidden Windows away. Um, the only evidence that Windows exists is the fact that, um, uh, you know, you've got um, Windows don't look like a Mac application, even though they they are skinned to look like a Mac, they don't have that feel of a Mac application. They still have that horrible drab, grey um, feel that, that a Windows app has. Um, but it just feels more and more along the lines of um, uh, on the Mac, the, the Windows apps are going to look more and feel more like a, uh, a Mac app as opposed, you know, so you'll get to that point where you think, oh, um, I'm, I'm not really running a, a Windows application. Um, of course, that, that sort of doesn't apply to Office because Office has all that ribbon and all that, which, you know, sort of clearly makes it not feel like a Mac app. Um, so, yeah, Parallels 5, I think, is, is definitely the winner in this round of the virtual machine applications. Um, so if you have needs for virtual machines, then, yeah, I, I would wholeheartedly recommend Parallels 5. Um, yeah, I've, I've got VMware 3. Um, I mean, that feature that you mentioned in the dock, they have a very similar feature with the new version from a, a menu item at the top of your screen. It'll list all the applications on the Windows side. But I, I kind of left Parallels at exactly the wrong point, and that's when it looked like they were going nowhere. This was version 3. Mm. Um, then they bought out version 4 and now 5, which from all accounts um, is are getting a lot more positive results than VMware at this point. Yeah, well... Um See, there's another player, VirtualBox, but VirtualBox is, there's two things going wrong for VirtualBox. A, it doesn't support boot camp, um, and B, it's still quite a long way behind. Um, I mean, VirtualBox is now getting to the point of Parallels 3, um, so it's... A long way behind. Um, I'd say it's even. I mean, it's also got the most goddamn awful interface for yeah. an application as but well. You've got to remember, it's it's a port of a Linux application, so yeah. um, Linux developers have hardly ever been known for their great user interfaces. Um, but yeah, I, I I really think Parallels Five is definitely on the right track. I, I think VMware is playing catch up again. Um, the difference between um, VMware 2.5 and um, whatever it was um, and Parallels 4 with it looked as though they were basically heading off on the right uh, the same track but Parallels 5 you can see that Parallels 5 was like um, a complete separation to the way that VMware's going. Um, I still like VMware in the sense that um, in terms of a corporate um, environment, VMware's probably better because most corporates will be using VMware anyway for their virtual machines. But having said that, Parallels 5 also supports VMware machines, which um, the previous versions haven't. So... um, that one has actually been very exciting for me, um, the fact that, you know, there's no real um, reason why you would stick to VMware. Because um, I've always sort of been a fan of Parallels. I've tried, 
VMware and I've liked it, but there's just always been something that has pulled me back to parallels. Um, maybe it's just familiarity, I don't know, but um, yeah, I, I, parallels sort of is, is definitely in in the process of becoming where I think virtual machines are actually going to head and, and it'll be quite interesting to see what 6 is going to be released but um, yeah, definitely like 5 Right, okay, that's Parallels Desktop 5 um, and do you have another pick for us at all? Um, actually I do um, it's it's a game that I've sort of uh, I can't remember if I've mentioned it but um, Sims 3 um I may have mentioned The Sims 3 in, in the podcast with Dave. I can't remember. Is this for Mac or iPhone? Uh, Mac. Okay. Actually, no, I think I might have mentioned The Sims 3 for the iPhone. But, yeah. Um, but for the for the Mac, um, they've just released a, a um, an expansion pack called Sims 3 World Adventures. Um, and... To be honest, to start off with, I I was really, really, really angry with EA because I bought the download version, which means that you don't have to run off the DVD, um, uh, which is, you know, I, I, I'm hoping that's the way gaming is going to be um, from now on because it just seems stupid where a lot of Mac games, you, you copy the application onto the onto the machine and then you need that um the DVD and the drive, but it never accesses the DVD during the game, um, which always seems stupid. So I, I bought the download version of Sims 3, um, both Sims 3 and uh, Sims 3 World Expansion, but when they released World Expansion, there was supposed to be a patch for um, for the Sims 3 that allowed you to play uh, World Expansion, uh, sorry, World Adventures, but EA hadn't released that patch for the download version, so I basically spent a whole week having bought this game, not being able to play the game until EA released the patch. They finally did, and I've just been blown away with the game um, ever since. It's it's so much fun, you know. It, it's more than just, um, you know, learning how to cook and, and learning how to not electrocute yourself on the stove, which, unfortunately, my sim <laughs> didn't learn that one quite easy. Um, and it, it, it sort of implements a, um, a really neat thing where... The more skilled your your sim is in the game, um, he can actually go to different countries. So there's three countries. There's China, there's Egypt, and there's France. Um, and the more skilled your sim is, the more he can complete challenges in the, um, in the countries. And the more they complete challenges in the countries, the longer they can stay in that country for um, using a, a, a visa system. Um, and... It's quite cool because, you know, you go into these tombs and you've got to solve all these puzzles to go through the tomb um, to, you know, get, um, uh, you know, whatever it is that someone's lost. You know, it could be something stupid like a, a book or something like that, um, you know, and, you, and you've just about killed yourself on, on some um, puzzle. But um, it... It, it it brings a whole new level to to the Sims games, which um, you know w- when they first came out, um, I never sort of got into it. I was I was like, oh, this is too voyeuristic. All you're doing is you're just controlling some Sims life and see how it goes, and then played it and kind of got addicted on it. Um, but it was all just the same thing. So after a while, it, it just got boring and boring because you just you know you 
it's imitating too much like life, you know, you get out of bed, go to work, come back, eat, go to bed sort of thing. Um, but now you've got that ability to, to go to a different country, meet different um, people, learn different skills. Like if you go to China, you can learn, uh, your sim can learn martial arts, um, in which case you can then go back to um, uh, back to the normal his, his normal home and, you know, start beating up on people if he wanted to sort of thing. Um, so it sort of adds a little bit more to the humour but um, a lot more to the gameplay. Um, my biggest gripe was the fact that um, it it was essentially probably $10 US cheaper than the actual full-blown version. Um, so I, I think it is a little bit overpriced but... Um, I. On having said that, I do actually think it is, it is uh, worth the cost of the um, the expansion. But um, yeah, it, it's just a, a nice little time waster. You know, when you're a bit bored, you can get bored watching someone else do something, sort of thing. So yeah, that, that was my other pick. <clears throat> okay, cool. That's Sims Three. Thanks for that. Um, my two picks. One of them is an iPod game, iPhone game, um, uh, and the other is a podcast. Uh, the game I wanted to mention is a game called Thirty Third Division, mm-hmm. which is kind of a little bit like Harbour Master and um, Flight Control and all these sorts of things. But it's it's based on a war theme. If you imagine you're sort of looking top down over a, the Second World War, you've got these soldiers who you have to get from one part of the screen to another, um, but there's all these Germans with torchlights wandering around trying to find your soldiers. Um, so you have to guide them along the path. Um, as you come up to the Germans with the torchlights, you can luckily tap on your soldier just to get them to stay still for a moment so they don't get shot. Um, and at first I kind of didn't like it, but I've got heavily addicted to it and uh, you know considering it's what a dollar twenty nine or something like that it's well worth it um, if anyone was following uh, or is following appventcalendar.com that's giving away a free uh, game every day this month uh, 33rd Division was in fact the first game free for the first day um, so you missed it at that point but but adventcalendar.com is still worth checking out um, and the podcast I wanted to mention is one I just thought oh that looks slightly interesting and I, I quite enjoy it, it's film related it's called Film Riot um, Film Riot from Revision 3 um, and it's a bunch of guys that show you how to do all the special effects um, in movies, but the main reason I enjoy it is because they are just hilarious. Um, The jokes they crack, the effort they put into their video podcast is just outstanding, and, um, you know, the effects they do are budgeted and they show you how to cheat. Other times it's quite complex. You need Final Cut and After Effects and all these sorts of things. But, you know, they'll just do a whole story. Even their commercials for their sponsors uh, within the middle of the podcast are just hilarious. So they put a lot of effort into the whole production. Um, They also release an HD and a large and a small QuickTime version of that video podcast. So that's Film Riot. It's well worth downloading and I noticed one came through tonight just before I, um, uh, before we got ready for this podcast, sounds good. Yeah, you know what that thirty um, third division reminded me of? Because um, I, I think I got it um, when it was free, so I was like, oh sweet, I'll, I'll check it out, see what it's like. Um, but the um, 
it reminded me of a game that I had on the Amiga called Cannon Fodder, which was just this really funny-ass, cartoony war game, um, although you weren't drawing lines to, to a section. It, it was like a proper, full-on, you controlled all your men and all that. But the, the graphics really reminded me of, of, of that game. And um, sort of as soon as I saw it, I thought, oh, man, I hope they bring Cannon Fodder to the iPhone. You know, they've, they've already bought... A few classic Amiga titles, you know, um, Dave's favourite of Dragon's Lair, uh, Space Ace and Monkey Island and all those sorts of games. So, um, yeah, I, I just thought it funny that it looked exactly like a game that I played years and years ago, um, although with a different sort of um, uh, engine on it, you know, it's, yeah... Yeah, um, I, d- I don't know the Amiga game, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's similarities. And, and who knows, you might see that game come out um, as so many classics are gradually appearing on the the iPhone, which is quite cool as well. I hope so. There was a lot of classic games on the Amiga that the generations today need to know about. <laughs> yep. Righty, I think we better wrap it up. Um, we, I think I might have mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that Dave was possibly going to join us. I'm probably going to put in a blooper because at one point he did turn up, but <laughs> while we've been chatting, uh, he's text mes- uh, messaged me in Skype and said that unfortunately he's unable to come back online. Um, he's solo parenting at the moment, so um, he's looking after his daughter. Um, so um, I'm sure he'd want us to pass on uh, best wishes from him. Um, and from all of us, really, to everyone on nzmac.com and nziphone.com. Um, I'll be posting a blog post um, in the next week or so about the year that was. Um, in it, I'll explain that, unfortunately, I haven't been able to give the site as much attention as I have wished to be able to this year. But I'm hoping that that will change next year once I finish my study. Um, I'm hoping we can get into some more regular podcasts um, on a fairly regular basis and talk about all the things that are Apple and Mac related. So thanks very much, Darren, and thanks very much, Andrew. You can look for them on the site. Um, Darren goes under the name Loaded Wookie and Andrew APDV1. And and, uh, on behalf of all of us, I guess, I just wish you all a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Um, Let's see what happens in the new year, whether Apple announces anything early, because, of course, they're not involved in Macworld this time, but um, who knows, they still might surprise us with some new products early on in the new year. So thanks very much, guys. Not a Thank you, Phil. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest presenter and do not necessarily represent those of NZMAC.com.